0: All right, all right, welcome to Sedaris. Let's give a round of applause to the band, because he lives, amen. It is good to be here. My name is Dave. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Sedaris, and it's my privilege today to get to open up the Word of God, which is something we take very seriously at, here at Sedaris, and teach a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is the most important fact in this entire book if the resurrection is not true then what are we doing here that's what Paul says what are we doing what are we doing but friends I've got some news for you it is true and today I'm going to try to show you why that is maybe you don't know if the resurrection is true one of the reasons we exist as a church, the name Sidaris actually comes from the Latin root of the word consider. We exist to help people consider who Jesus is and whether or not he has actually risen from the dead. Wouldn't it be a good thing to listen to a man who has risen from the dead? Now imagine this. Imagine you got a letter in the mail, and in the letter it said uh, something to this regard, Uh, Hey, if you're getting this letter, it's because I've passed away, and I know you don't know me, but I am your great distant aunt from Alabama, and I've heard many stories about you, and I know that you're a good person, and so I've left to you my entire estate worth $5 million. All you need to do is come collect. Now, many of us living in our digital age would be like, I get that scam <laughs> about <laughs> once a week, just go in my spam inbox, I take a look, plenty of those. But this one's different, it's handwritten. You did have some dis- distant relatives in Alabama, named Young ben Song, <laughs> and so you're curious. Now, think of the potential benefits, $5 million. Is it worth the investigation? Is it worth looking into this? Is it worth calling the number on the letter? Getting in touch with the lawyers? Finding out. Is this true? What's the resurrection? The potential benefit, if there was a man who died and rose again, and he claimed, and he predicted before his death that he was going to die for the sins of the world because he was the Son of God, and that He would rise from the grave after His death, and then potentially that happened? And the promise being we too, if we're united with this Jesus, can experience the same thing? Is it worth a consideration? I'm not saying believe it just for the what if. I'm saying, let's investigate. And that's one of the things we get to do every Easter, to investigate the truths of the resurrection. Is there anything that points to it being reality? And I'm here to tell you, there are many rational evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. You don't have to check your brain at the door. And you don't have to check your emotions at the door. Actually, you can bring your full being into a consideration of who Jesus is and the resurrection. And what you'll find, hopefully, is some rational, powerful evidences. I believe that the resurrection is true. I believe that Jesus is alive. That he is reigning from the right hand of God. And that he will return one day. I believe he holds the future in his hand. I believe that today is worth living because he lives. And so I want to show you today just one of the many rational evidences for the resurrection. Just one today. That's all the time we have. But we're here each and every Sunday talking about Jesus, talking about this Bible, considering the truth. So we'd love for you to come back. But the one that I want to focus on today in particular is this. We constantly chase the shadows of the resurrection we constantly chase the shadows of the resurrection and where there is a shadow there is a more real more solid more fixed non-translucent reality so where we chase shadows it means there's something casting that shadow. And today, in our world, just like at every moment, in every period of time, even before Christ and after Christ, we've chased the shadows of the resurrection. So I want to look at that one aspect, that one rational evidence, which I, think believe, which I believe confirms the reality of the resurrection. So turn with me, if you have a copy of the scriptures, to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew is one of the four gospel accounts. The gospel accounts are just uh, 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 recounting the life, ministry, and death and resurrection of Jesus. And four different authors wrote them from four unique perspectives as as they saw. And they all work together. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, there's some on the ends of the row. Would you just kind of ask somebody to pass it down to you? And we are going to look at the resurrection account. And see if in the text itself there's any evidence that shows us this truth okay chapter 28 feel free if you're if you're uh, kind of newer to the bible to use the table of contents there's absolutely no shame in that i use the table of contents all the time uh, when i'm trying to find something in the bible and when we say matthew chapter 28 matthew's the name of the book and 28 is the chapter and so you'll find the chapter numbers to be the big bold numbers And then the smaller numbers are the verse numbers. So if I say chapter 28, verse 2, you look for the big 28 and then the small 2. So we're going to be in Matthew 28. Now, as we're turning there, let me just say this. Because we're going to look at the account of the first human beings to encounter the empty tomb and the first human beings to encounter Jesus post-resurrection. And guess what? those human beings are female. Now that might not mean much to you now, but I'm going to show you why that is a radical, for this day and age, a radical truth about the gospel story. I like most of what has happened in the redemption of women's dignity in the last hundred years. Amen? I I love the fact that women are coming back into full dignity that has always been theirs in this country and and around the world but why do I say most well because I think we've misidentified the author of this dignity inducing movement who is the author I think that we have not given credit where credit is due where is it due? Well, it's actually due to the resurrection of Jesus. Let me show you why that is. Are you in Matthew chapter 28? Chapter 28. Let's read the resurrection account. Jesus has been crucified. We celebrate that on Good Friday. He had claimed that he would go and he would willfully die and he would take upon himself the sin of the world and then he would prove that his substitutionary death dying in our place to take the penalty of sin, that it was finished. And he would prove that by rising from the grave. He had predicted this, Jesus. Chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, that's Saturday, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Notice, no men there. They're sleeping in, apparently. And all four gospel accounts talk about that it was women who went to the tomb first to, to finish preparing the body, to finish preparing the body for burial because they had to do it rushed on Friday night before the Sabbath began. And behold, at the tomb, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. There were guards there. The Jewish officials had wanted to set guards in front of the tomb so that the disciples of Jesus could not come steal the body. And they trembled in fear. But the angel said to the women, "'Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified.'" He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, of course, what is happening, and great joy. You see, fear and joy are so closely related, even to this day. They ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Mary Magdalene is uh, even highlighted further in John's gospel account, another of the four gospel accounts, He just takes a closer look in and gives us some more detail about this meeting of Jesus on the road. And so we've got that up for you here. Let's read it together. In John's Gospel, it says this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. This is Mary Magdalene. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the right and one at at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus said to Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic. When when he said her name, she, she recognized who it was. She said, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her now why is this so significant for for obvious reasons (laughs) a man rose from the dead that is significant but what else is significant well actually this fact that it was women who first reported the empty tomb and, and seeing the angels and moreover That a very specific woman, Mary Magdalene, was the first to see and talk to the resurrected Jesus is so significant. In fact, this fact became one of the central arguments against the historicity of Jesus' resurrection. It became the reason people said that can't be true. Because it was women who reported it. Listen to this. Celsus, who was a second century Greek philosopher, so he was writing and living within a century of these things happening, he wrote the earliest known comprehensive criticism of Christianity. Remember, and you might not know this, know this first century women were not even eligible to testify in a court of law, they were not credible witnesses. They could not testify in court. And so what Celsus is about to say about Christianity makes sense in the first century. Of course it doesn't make sense to us now. And writing in around 175 A.D., Celsus mocked the idea that Mary Magdalene could be an alleged resurrection witness. Referring to the popular opinion in his day, Which was the same as in Jesus' day. Here is what he said. There is no way, brace yourself, Seattleites, that a hysterical female could possibly give a credible witness. You see, in Celsus' mind, it was the very fact that the first eyewitnesses were women that the gospel could not be trusted. And many, 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 if not most of the people would have agreed with him. Now look back to Matthew 26, or sorry, 28, and look at what happens right after what we just read. And I'm just going to read it to you. So right after, Jesus says, go and tell the disciples what you've seen. It says this in verse 11. While they were going, that's the women going back to tell the disciples, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests, those guards that were so terrified that they ran away and did the one thing that was deserving of death if you were a soldier, they ran away and they went to tell the chief priests, this is the Jewish officials, all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders, that's the Jewish religious higher-ups, and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and they said, tell people His disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, because the governor, if he had heard this, would have them executed, they said, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, this is the soldiers, and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread amongst the Jews to this day. So how do we know this? How do the gospel writers know this? Because this was the other possible truth claim about why the tomb was empty. There was two possible truth claims. We talked about this last week. How do you discern between truth and lie? You can go online and, and listen to that sermon if you want. How do you discern between truth and lie? We have two competing truth claims. One truth claim is that Jesus' disciples came... See, they, don't, they, don't, they haven't read Matthew yet. They just are living in the day, and they hear this story. The disciples came and stole the body while the soldiers were sleeping. They took his body, and now they're claiming that he's resurrected from the dead. The other truth claim that was floating around Jerusalem at this time was that a group of women went to the tomb, found it empty. One of these women, Mary Magdalene, who, by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet, was a former demoniac who was filled with seven demons and was a social outcast, she has claimed that she has seen and talked to the risen Jesus because he has indeed risen from the grave. That's why the tomb is empty. See, two competing truth claims, which is true. Those were the two options you had then. I don't think there are any better options today. They have one thing in common. Jesus' body was no longer in the grave. One story said it was because his disciples took him, and one story said he had risen from the grave, and we know that because women saw him. And angels told women that he had been risen. If you're not seeing it yet, just think about these two truth claims and how they fit together to reveal which is more likely to be true. Think back. Think back. How do you discern truth and lie? If the first story is true, this means that the disciples stole the body, then knowingly and purposefully decided to either flat out lie about who found the tomb, okay, because if they stole the body, they would have been the first to know it was empty, so they chose to lie about it and say that it was women who found the tomb, and then they chose to lie about who was the first to see Jesus, which was Mary Magdalene, a demoniac. That's the first option. The other option is that it actually happened. The exact way that they said it happened. And because they are terrified of the God of truth, they chose not to change the story. Even if they thought the story might be more well received if they said that it was the disciples who found the empty tomb. Which is more likely? Remember what Celsus said. And most people thought this way. Women can't be trusted. Their testimony cannot be, especially somebody who has mental illness. The disciples believed eventually truth will rise to the top, so there's no need to change the story. Let's just tell people what actually happened. If you can't tell, (laughs) I believe the second truth claim that this is how it actually happened. And what does this mean? In John 20, right before Mary sees and talks to Jesus, right before that, guess what I didn't read? And this is how the narratives fit together. You have to kind of zoom out and see them all together. Remember in Matthew it said, and then they they went back and told the disciples. Well, in John's gospel, what we we, we find out actually is happening because he goes into more detail. They saw the empty tomb. The angels told them to go. They ran back, because it's not that far, ran back to the city where all the disciples were. They told them. Then Peter and John, who were two of the big three leaders in the early church, came to the tomb, saw that it was empty, looked at the linen cloths, and then went back to Jerusalem. Okay? Okay? Then, after that, is what we read about Jesus who looked like a gardener revealing himself to Mary. Now, this, we're going to be thinking people. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that when Mary went and got John and Peter and showed them the tomb, it means that Jesus was right there. And guess what he didn't do? He chose not to say, Hey, Peter, hey, John. Here I am. He waited for them to leave so that he could reveal himself to Mary. Are you seeing this? This isn't an accident that Mary Magdalene was the first person to see and talk to the resurrected Jesus. Do you see this? God chose to intentionally reveal himself to women first. Why would he do this if he knew people would then say that's why Christianity isn't true? Here's my guess. He wanted to begin to redeem or you might say to resurrect the dignity of women. A dignity that he gave to them at creation when he created them in his image and put his spirit in them and said, go and have dominion over my world. Maybe it's because it was the, fem- uh, the woman in the account of Genesis chapter 3 who was first deceived by the father of lies. Maybe God then wants to give her the first chance to see God for who he fully is. Maybe. But definitely it's because women's dignity had been stripped from them year after year after year after decade after century by sinful oppression and devaluation and God said you know what in one moment I'm giving it all back I'm giving it back because that's how I created the woman that's resurrection my friends imagine this this is what was going on have you ever heard a story of this That some famous person, uh, celebrity politician, uh, athlete, chooses a reporter who really doesn't have a name for themselves, and they say, you know what, I've got a story for you. I'm going to announce to you a really important thing that I'm going through. And it's because they have the first chance to report on that story that they become a famed reporter. You heard stories like this? This happens. Jesus did this. Not with one reporter, but with half of the world's population. And he says, in a moment, I am going to give you dignity. A dignity that the sin of this world has taken from you. That's God's love. That's God's power. That's the resurrection. And so today... We are starting to see the shadows of this event cast in real and lasting ways in our society and in societies around the world, and we should celebrate them for sure. We are seeing dignity restored, redeemed, resurrected in our nation. But again, I would argue that we are celebrating or worshiping a shadow of the real thing. And why do we worship the shadow? because we don't know from where the shadow originates. And I'm here today to tell you, it originated on that first Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus resurrected women's dignity, and we should follow suit by pointing people back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only lasting way that we can reverse the oppressive... Nature of sin. Now you say, this is fascinating. I hope so. Why should we look to and worship the original rather than the shadow? Are you asking yourself? Why not just worship the shadow? Well, I would argue that it's only in looking to the original that we find its true meaning and its true purpose and the true path forward. That's why we can't be satisfied with the shadows. We must go find and investigate the original. For instance, if the dignity of women was restored on that first Sunday, then when we look to that first Sunday, we can find out the true definition of dignity, of equality. If we only look to the shadows, there's a chance, and I think I'd say a reasonable chance, that we might end up adding to or misunderstanding what dignity actually means. And we don't want that. We want dignity the way God intended it to be. So look again at Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20. In the account that I read to you, thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. So, so, so wonderful. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. Dignity means that God calls you by name. Do you know that when you call somebody by name, you give them dignity? They are no longer just a category or a thing. They are a person created in the image of God, and God has given them a name through their parents, and when you call them by their name, you give them dignity. The risen Lord and Savior calls Mary by name, showing that she is not property, but she is a person. Then Jesus says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. Tell them what? Verse 18. The news. The good news. The gospel. Guess what, Mary? Guess what? All the women of the world, you get to announce to the rest of the world that Jesus is is alive. If all of this is true, is there any greater dignifying act than to go and tell the world that God loves them, that God has sent His Son into the world to die for sin, and that God has raised His Son Jesus to life after death, and that we too can have eternal life and life to the full now by being connected to the risen Lord. If you're a woman in this room tonight, today, (laughs) this morning, uh, or if you're listening online, hear me very clearly today. Your dignity is being chosen to be a dignitary. Your dignity is being chosen to be a dignitary. Of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, to tell everyone who will listen to you that you have met the risen Savior. That he is very much alive, that he is not dead, that he is active in your life and he is moving, he's transforming you, he's making you a new thing. This is the truly ground-leveling power of the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. It does not matter your title, your pedigree, your, your socially assessed value or beauty, your wealth, your education, your job description, your marital status, or whether or not you have been possessed by seven demons and considered crazy by the world. The resurrected Jesus handed to Mary that day and every other woman that will ever be born into the world, the golden ticket to true dignity... Which is this, you get to share with creation truth about the creator. That is dignity. Do you see it? Jesus, close your eyes, picture Jesus standing before Mary Magdalene. Bestowing upon her the resurrected dignity for all women, for all time. that is the original. And we worship shadows because we do not know from where they come. We need to tell people where that comes from. We need to tell people about the resurrection of Jesus. That's our dignity. Men, women, children, elderly. It is our dignity and our calling to tell people where they can find the original. The Bible says many things about shadows. Colossians 2, 16 to 17 says this. Throw it up on the screen here, Josh. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festivals or the new moon or the Sabbath. These are all religious activities. Then Paul says, these are shadows of the thing to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. You see that? Religious festivals of the Old Testament are shadows of the true thing, the true substance, which is Christ. Another translation says this. These things are shadows of what, what was to come. But the reality belongs to Christ. The reality belongs to Christ. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 says this. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, what the author of Hebrews is saying, only in the reality of Christ is it possible for sins to be truly taken away. Those things, those religious ceremonies, those things are shadows. So there's truth in them. And I think there's some truth even in other religions, some truth, but they're shadows. The reality is in Jesus Christ. The crucified and resurrected Son of God. And look at this. Both of these are talking about the Old Testament, which are things that happened before Christ came. You see, shadows can be cast in every direction forwards and back, future and past. Shadows of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus have been going backwards in time and forwards in time because the cross and the resurrection was God's plan from the very beginning. And he has been shining a light, casting shadows, so that we might be ready when we hear of the original to see it as such. Oh my gosh, it's real. Colossians 1.21-23 says this. We've got that Josh it up. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death on the cross in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed, look at this, in all creation under heaven. Now when Paul is writing this, it's very clear that it has not the church has not spread to the ends of the earth yet because Paul keeps working at it. <laughs> so, what is he talking about? Here's what I think he's talking about. I think he's saying that these shadows have been cast throughout all creation, throughout all time, so that any moment in time, in any culture, there are shadows of the death and resurrection of Jesus that can be found in cultural artifacts. So that when people do hear of Jesus, they start to say, That's what we were worshiping, even though we didn't know the name Jesus. What are the shadows today? What are the shadows of Easter, the shadows of the resurrection that are all around us today in America? Don't have to look far. This all happened within the last couple of weeks. Any basketball fans? Sorry, I'm going to make a couple sports analogies. I believe my sister was the greatest basketball female basketball player I've ever met. I've been to more female basketball games than I guarantee anybody in this room, apart from my father and mother. <laughs> so I'm going to use some sports analogies, uh, not because I, because I think you can understand them, because I think they're shadows of the resurrection. That's why you can understand them, even if you don't play sports or like sports or even if you hate sports. Virginia basketball in the NCAA tournament... They won the championship. Did you know this? The year before that, they were a one seed in the tournament. And, and in the first round, the one seed plays the 16 seed. And no time in the history of the NCAA tournament had a one seed ever lost to a 16 seed until last year when Virginia lost to a 16 seed. The lowest moment for any basketball program in history. The worst loss, truly. Statistically, the worst loss that has ever happened in the NCAA tournament. And one year later, they went all the way through the tournament and won the championship. Guess what that is? That's a shadow of the resurrection. And if you just listen to Sports Talk Radio the day after, people are preaching the gospel of the resurrection. Anybody listen? They're preaching it. They're like, never before has such a terrible loss happened. And only three days later, they won the championship. It's like, that's the gospel, people. It's a shadow of it. And you worship it because you don't know from where it came. Point number two. There was a man who they started to call Tiger. His last name was Woods, not because he was a golfer and he had irons and woods in his bag, but because... That was his surname. Okay. So Tiger Woods, if you don't know who he is, one of the greatest golfers of all time. Well, just a few days ago, he won his 15th major, his fifth green jacket at the Masters, which is the biggest golf tournament in the world, and he hadn't won in 11 years. Maybe the greatest golfer of all time, and he hadn't won a major in over 11 years. And you know the reason he hadn't? His sin stifled him. He was found to be an adulterer, a liar, and a fraud. I think he'd say those things. And his sin had taken him down. And at the Masters, just a couple Sundays ago, actually last Sunday, some of you weren't here because you were watching it, forgiveness grace (laughs) he resurrected and and if you watched the scene on the last hole of the golf tournament when he made the putt to win the celebration that happened not only from the fans who were chanting at the top of their lungs tiger 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 the smile on his face the hug from his families all his fellow competitors lined up cheering him smiling like little kids Because they had worshipped him before his fall. That, my friends, is a shadow of the resurrection. And we worship it because we do not know from where it came. Finally, you don't have to look far on television or in the movies to see... The, net, the resurrection shadow played again and again and again and again and again. In fact, Hollywood uses the narrative arc of the gospel of Jesus Christ to make billions and billions of dollars. And listen, I've never got a check of royalty from them. <laughs> They're just using the greatest story, the truest story, to make billions of dollars. Guess what TV show just got back on, the most acclaimed TV show that's ever been made? And I would argue... I'm not saying you should watch it, but I would argue I have seen it. It is probably one of the greatest shows ever made. Just started back up a couple weeks ago. The Game of Thrones. Well, guess what the Game of Thrones is about? The rightful king trying to find his throne or her throne. It's about sin, lots of sin, lots of sin, (laughs) lots of sin. It's about sin. But it's also about redemption. In fact, in the series, literally the main character, the character that is the closest thing to good that we can find, literally dies, sorry, spoiler alert, and and comes back to life. I mean, they're not even trying to hide it. They're just putting it right there. We're going to kill the main character and bring him back to life the next season so that you keep paying $7.99 for HBO Go and I still haven't seen a royalty check. Millions of millions of millions of people around the world watch that show and worship that show. Why? It's a very good show. But I think it's because they've done a good job casting a shadow of the true resurrection of Jesus Christ. So why do I believe the resurrection is true? Well, for many rational evidences, I couldn't go into them. You have to come back either... Next year or hopefully next week. But those rational evidence include the fact that I cannot help but worship even the shadows of the most important moment in human history. The moment when not only did the worst loss lead to the greatest win, not just when sinful indiscretions of a great athlete did not keep him down and out forever, not just because one fictional story of thrones and white walkers has cast my attention, by the way the walking dead? I mean, come on, it's so obvious. We want to escape death. (laughs) Only Jesus provides it for us, not just because I can't help but worship the shadows, but because I've come to realize that it's true in my own life, that when I turn from the shadows to the real thing, I find resurrection and redemption and forgiveness of sin And life to the full. And every time I turn away from the original and I go back to worshiping a shadow, I feel hollow. And I only know it, I only know the difference in the feelings because I turned at one point. And I have, I I have to admit, I have turned back and said, maybe I should just worship basketball. Because I love basketball. But I turn back to it now and I feel empty and gross Now, basketball's not bad. I'm just saying, compared to the risen, resurrected Jesus, that thing that used to fill me or I thought filled me, I was only like a quarter full. And I've experienced being 100% full of the love of God and the resurrection and redemption despite my sin. Each shadow, my friends, is a signpost pointing back to the original. It's like finding out (laughs) <laughs> that the show you love is actually just a spinoff of an older show. I found this out because I have a three-and-a-half-year-old. Daniel Tiger, one of the greatest kid shows on TV right now, turns out he was just a character in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. <laughs> Unreal. Did you know this? <laughs> or thinking of the vast array of spin-offs, sequels, video games, toys, for what? The original Star Wars. If you never had seen the Star Wars, but you saw all the spin-offs, all the sequels, all the other stuff, wouldn't you want to go check out the original? Wow, this spawned all of this? It must be a great movie, and it is. Have you ever seen the original? Have you ever touched the original? Have you felt the power of the original? The resurrected Lord and Savior of the world, Jesus Christ who says, I am not far from you. Just reach out and take my hand. And he's calling you by name. Do you hear him calling you by name? He's saying, stop worshiping the shadows and worship me. Turn to me. Celebrate me. Live with me. If we're honest, some of us have heard of the original, but we love the shadows. We're scared of the original. You see, a shadow is only cast by the original, and if you see a giant shadow, you're like, oh my gosh, the original must be terrifying. And some of you are like, I'm pretty happy with the shadows. I'm pretty happy with the master's Sunday rather than church. I'm pretty happy with my movies I don't need to encounter the real deal the shadows are scary enough for me powerful enough for me well this is just the allegory of the cave Do you know the allegory of the cave Plato's original allegory of the cave talked about three prisoners chained up their whole life since birth in a cave and behind them was a fire and people would come and they would put like a tree in front of the fire and it would cast a shadow on the wall but the the prisoners knew nothing of it they only saw the shadows And then one day, one of the prisoners, reluctantly, is freed and able to go out into the world and see the things as they actually are, the real things. And it takes him a while, his eyes hurt because he's only been staring at a cave wall, and eventually he goes out and he sees the light and it's blinding, but then eventually he starts to see the originals are better than the shadows, and he comes back into the cave and he says to the other prisoners, hey guys, there's real trees. And they say, no there's not. And he tries to convince them, and eventually they say, you know what? I don't even care if they're real. They don't sound as good as these shadows that I've grown up with. Now, Plato was not a Christian. (laughs) In fact, his allegory of the cave is but a shadow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a little freebie. (laughs) We can talk about the allegory of the cave, but it's one of the most famous philosophical uh, allegories in all of history, but it shows you that even when you encounter the real deal or you're told about the real deal, you will still, you can still, many still do choose the shadows, choose to be chained up in a cave and only see part of reality because they love the shadows, because the shadows become their chains. My friends, it is terrifying to encounter the real resurrection. It is terrifying to encounter the original rather than the shadow. It is terrifying to stand before Jesus if if you are hell-bent on worshiping the shadows. That is terrifying. But if, in fact, you let God be the giver of good gifts to you, you will find that he is not terrifying, that the risen, resurrected Jesus is much like the gardener that Mary encountered. He is gentle, and he is kind, and he knows your name, and he whispers sweetly to you, and he says, I have compassion, and I have mercy, and I have grace for you. Just take it. I'm giving it to you. You don't need to be terrified of me. You don't need to be terrified of the reality. You don't need to be terrified that you've been worshiping shadows your whole life and only now you see the real thing. Do not convince yourself that you didn't see the real thing. Because the real thing is so much better. The resurrection is true. I think that you know it's true. I think that your conscience bears witness that it's true. It is the only hope of redemption. The shadows cannot redeem you. They can entertain you, but they cannot redeem you. This actually happened. It is the only true comeback story. It is not just overcoming my past. It is not just a Hollywood fairy tale. It is a man named Jesus who claimed to be God, who claimed that he would die for your sin, and then he proved that he had by rising from the dead. He actually rose from the dead, and you can know him. And it means for you, you do not have to remain chained to your guilt or chained to your shame. You do not have to fear death. You do not have to squeeze every YOLO ounce of pleasure in this life. You do not have to curse your bad luck, your bad karma, your bad heredity, because this is not the only life that there is to live. There is life after this life and that life is everlasting, and that life is better, and that life can begin right now, this morning, by accepting the reality that every shadow that you've worshipped is just a shadow of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Savior, your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Creator of heaven and earth, Giver of every good gift under heaven, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of redemption, a God of resurrection. God, I pray for my friends now, if they have never experienced the redeeming, resurrecting power of God in their life, God, would they turn from the shadows and start to worship the original? Would they stop calling? The resurrection of Jesus a story or a myth but call it truth and may they experience that right now as they hear you whisper their name God thank you for whispering our name thank you for coming so close to us that we can't help but reach out and take hold of your grace and your goodness in our own lives. Help us to stay connected to you and not turn back to the shadows, but to love the real deal. We pray this in Jesus' name, because of the blood of Christ and because of the resurrection of Christ. Amen.